Uh, we are actually drawing ever closer to the end of Acts. Uh, and I've kind of done this in the past. So I just want to throw it out there to you if there's a particular book of the Bible that you would like for me to preach through, then throw the name out there. It doesn't necessarily mean that I will do it because it could be a particular book that we've done a number of times in the past or that sort of thing. Uh, my goal when I first started preaching was to preach through the whole Bible before I died or before I left the ministry. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen because there's a lot left. <laughs> a lot left. And just a measure, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years now almost. 20, this is our 29th year. And, and just, a, just a measure of the, the extents of the Word of God that we've only basically hit a fraction of what is there in all this time that we've had. And I just want to encourage all of you to truly be students of the Word. I hope that you're in your Bible on a regular basis. In other words, please be in your Bible on a regular basis. Don't let it just sit on the table and then pick it up and bring it to church with you on Sunday morning. But be a student of the Word of God. It will transform your life like nothing else will. So do that for yourself and do that for everyone else. So Acts, we are in chapter 24 this morning. Uh, we're biting off a pretty big chunk, okay? Uh, partly because uh, we're at this point in the book of Acts where some things are kind of repetitive, and, and sometimes you feel like you're almost going over the same stuff uh, more than once. Uh, but anyway, we're going to be reading all through chapter 24 and well into 25. So, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, when Tertullus, they laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since your oversight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague one who stirs up roots among all the Jews, riots among all the Jews, throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can, then can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. 
Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumults. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, uh, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, uh, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about the righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so uh, he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius, Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea, that he himself intended to go there shortly. So said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat out on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, and they could, uh, they, that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews' favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am wrong do, uh, a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charge or charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, uh, when he had conferred with his counsel, answer to Caesar, you have appealed. To Caesar, you shall go. The name Ananias seems to be pretty common. Uh, I just throw that out there so you'll realize that sometimes when you read Ananias, it's talking about one person, and other times it's a different person. There are at least three different Ananias mentioned just in the book of Acts. Okay. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, kind of back toward the beginning, who, who uh, committed a sin, and they were struck dead on the spot. Remember that? Uh, there's also a disciple in Damascus to whom Paul... 
Paul's conversion had been revealed. He's the one who came to Paul on the road to Damascus so many years before this. Paul went to him there. Now we have this high priest in Jerusalem. And he is the one that now is one of the principal people in bringing these charges against Paul. What the name Ananias actually means is God has been gracious. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Hananiah, which means literally Yahweh has been gracious. You don't see the man lining up much with his name now, do you? (laughs) Certainly not living up to his name. But now we have this fellow named Tertullus who enters into the picture, who becomes a spokesman for the Jewish side. Uh, There's a possibility that he's actually a Roman we don't know this for certain, but there's a possibility this, he's a Roman uh, advocate or orator that the Jews actually hired to stand on their behalf in the Roman court. His name is actually Greek. As far as governor, the Roman governor, Felix, I want you to understand something. He was no friend to the Jewish people. He was governor there for quite a bit of time, but he was not a friend to the Jewish people. He was noted, or he is noted historically, to have been ruthless in dealing with the Jewish people. Nonetheless, this attorney betrayed Judaism by heaping praise on the Roman governor, Felix. We have found this man to be a loimos, which can mean a number of different things, none of which is good. Okay. Can refer to a plague, can refer to a pestilence, can refer to a disease. This is how he describes Paul. Indirectly, what he's doing is characterizing Christianity as a plague. And what is the typical approach of dealing with plagues or diseases? You do whatever you think is necessary to stop them from spreading. This, in essence, should disgust you and I because what he's doing, he's describing our faith as a plague, as a disease. 
He wasn't attacking Paul. He was attacking Christianity and much of what he said. Formalized Christianity has been around now for 2,000 years, and in every generation there have been those who have attempted to stifle it. Even snuff it out completely if possible. It's very easy to argue that the United States is a country that's been set apart in the history of the world like no other in special ways, good ways. People here have had freedoms that very rarely have other people in the world ever experienced in their whole lifetime. Freedom of speech, freedom to live life without lots of governmental restrictions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we are at a crossroads in the history of our land and we know that. We see a great shifting taking place as we speak this morning. A shifting away from God in the direction of, of people in the, in the United States becoming more worldly, less godly and more worldly. And there's a growing effort in the United States to restrict our ability, our God-given right to practice our Christianity unhindered by the government. You would be crazy not to see this. I mean, it's everywhere, and it's becoming more and more pervasive, more and more prevalent. They picture Christianity very often as wrong and sometimes as even being evil. In other words, they picture Christianity as something that has an intended end of stifling and restricting people. Christianity is a, a form of enslavement in a sense. R.C. Sproul writes about this uh, particular passage. He, sa he says, we need to be ready because whenever people are faithful to the gospel, the world sees them first as pests and then as a plague. Which was the charge brought against Paul. Now, Paul was given the opportunity to give his own defense, and he gives it really in two parts. First of all, he, he lays out what he's not guilty of doing as Tertullus has charged him. That, you know, the charges are totally false. And then he sets forth what he is actually guilty of doing. Tertullus had charged him with disputing with people, making a big ruckus and this, that, and the other, stirring up a crowd in the temple complex. You know, we need to understand something. This, this was not Passover. This was Pentecost. Remember, Paul had tried to get to Passover. He didn't make it, but he made a double effort to make sure he was there at the Feast of Pentecost, and that's what this is here. But I think it's hard for us to even imagine how crowded the temple complex got during the days of the feasts. 
you, you know, maybe something like being in a crowded football stadium on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the fall might come what somewhat close to what was going on in Jerusalem and in the temple during the festivals. The city that's not actually even that large with literally possibly a million people crammed into it. But somehow in the midst of that, Paul was able to worship privately in a very crowded place. He was there to worship, and that's what he was doing. He wasn't talking with other people. He wasn't doing anything but doing what he was called to do. He was not stirring up a crowd as he was charged. What he says is this, he says, it's not, this is not the reason that I'm on trial today. The reason I'm on trial today is in respect to the resurrection of the dead. Now let me just tell you this, the Jewish people believe in the resurrection of the dead. There were people resurrected from the dead in the Old Testament. What they're charging is this, is that even though there is a resurrection of the dead, Jesus was not resurrected from the dead. But it comes down to this, and that is that Paul, a Jew, was practicing the religion that was protected by Roman law. He was not breaking any Jewish or Roman laws doing what he was doing. As a matter of fact, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Certainly nothing, nothing worthy of being arrested. Not breaking any law, but actually keeping the law. Did not disturb the peace. They disturbed his peace. And I just want to talk about this for a few minutes this morning. I hope with all of my heart that your worship of God is not restricted and limited to the time you spend here on Sunday morning. There certainly is a place for public worship. But there is an equally important, perhaps even more important place for personal and private worship. That's what Paul was doing in a very busy place. Some of you met Andy last week. He stayed and had brunch with us. He's a guy that's a friend of mine, a guy that I've gotten to know who lives in Chiefland. 
And Lori and I bought some acreage up there a few years ago, heavily wooded and, and whatever, as an investment. We wanted to put, put our money into someplace other than the bank where we could actually probably make some money on it uh, and that sort of thing, with the thought that maybe one of these days, because Caroline, you know, our daughter and her family live up there, maybe one of these days we might head in that direction. But I have, I bought a little tractor and put a little backhoe on it, and I've spent the last couple of years with some of my off time, you know, that I actually am taking one day off now more than I used to, and that sort of thing. I go up there, and I take up trees, and I burn stuff up, and I do this, that, and the other. But you know what else I do? It's my quiet place. It's my place of solace. Where I can go, because let me tell you, you could probably sit out on the road, and every now and then you'd hear me singing a hymn. It's the place where I can get quiet with my God without any other distractions. Sometimes I pray out loud. There's no place in the Bible that says in order for you to pray, you have to bow your head and get down on your knees. You can pray when you're doing anything. I love that place. I hope you have a place where you can get like that. All of us. And just remember this, that these people that are giving Paul such a fit at this point were those who were responsible for leading the whole nation of Israel. And guess what? True Worship. The place and the time they arrested Paul tells us very clearly they had no understanding or passion for the true worship of God. These were men of position who used that position not to do what they were supposed to do but to make themselves wealthy very often. Those who were supposedly the ones who led others in worship had no understanding or passion for the true worship of God. They're driven by their own agenda, not a love for God as they would have other people believe. Paul summarizes for Felix the real reason he's been arrested and tried. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you. We've already said this. That the Jews actually believed in the resurrection of the dead.
what they were not willing to believe in is that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And we know this. We know that uh, there's some things about Christianity that are more on the periphery. Some doctrines. But we know that the resurrection is a very central doctrine. That it's one of the most distinguishing things about Christianity there is. That we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. been some years now since Jesus had been tried in Jerusalem but it's not a far stretch to believe that at least some of the guys that are part of the picture now were involved in the trial of Jesus many years before in other words some of these men would like to have the blood of Paul on their hands. And at the same time, they probably already have the blood of Jesus on their hands. Felix was a freed slave appointed by Emperor Claudius to be the governor of Judah in A.D. 52. He was not noted to have been a particularly effective or moral leader. He was not a just man at all. He, like so many political leaders, was in the business for whatever advantages he could get for himself. He was actually married to Drusilla, who was the daughter of Herod Agrippa, who was one of the kings of the Jews. She was Jewish. He was married to a Jew. They would hear Paul a number of times before he was removed from office. They listened to him teach and speak about faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that comes through that and self-control and the coming judgment. And it alarmed them not to the point that they changed their perspective on things. But it alarmed them so much that they sent him away. But until that happened, they say he frequently brought Paul forth and conversed with Paul. 
we weren't there, so we don't know for certain. It's hard to imagine that Paul did not do his very best to, to evangelize this guy. But to no avail. And I just bring that up this morning so that we will realize something, and that is that we are called to evangelize the people around us, the people that God brings into our little circle of the world, and that sort of thing. And you may have been faithful in doing that, and you may have been faithful in doing that, and you haven't seen one single person ever come to Christ through your testimony and witness to them. But I just bring this up this morning so we'll realize this. That there has never been an evangelist like the Apostle Paul in the history of the world or the history of the church ever. That anybody that comes close. Who knows how many people were converted to Christianity from the ministry of Paul? Lots. That I bring this to your attention so we will realize this this morning. That is that Paul's evangelism was very effective a lot of the time, but sometimes it fell on dead ears. That even the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known other than Jesus could not convert this guy. He asked Paul at one point if he wishes to go to Jerusalem to be tried there on these charges. And, and, and in reality, Paul had already been there. Jerusalem was the last place that Paul wanted to return to. Paul's eyes are on Rome. They have been ever since Jesus appeared to him and told him to take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome, Acts 23, 11. From that point on, Paul was doing everything he could do to get to Rome. I'm not sure he would have chose this particular means or method. But it also gave him a high degree of confidence, and maybe he didn't have, uh, wouldn't have had other th beside that. And, th and that is this: is he, he knew he was going to Rome. He knew nothing was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He knew that there's one in charge, and it's not Felix, and it's not Festus. It's not the Jewish leadership. It's Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. And what he says is going to happen is, in fact, what does happen. I would imagine that that gave Paul a boldness that he probably would not have had otherwise. <laughs> Even once he gets to Rome, he will live about seven years after that before he is finally executed. But he will minister effectively from house arrest in Rome for a very long time.
It's not very likely that any of us will ever be charged. And they say, you need to understand, this is a civil court dealing with religious issues. Simply because the religious court did not have the, the power to execute people. That's why this whole case wound up in the Roman hands. Because they were the only ones that could execute prisoners. If it weren't for that, the Jewish people, would have, the leadership, would have kept it to themselves. But they're the ones who pushed it off on the Jews, just like they did with Jesus, just like Pontius Pilate. They tried to push, they pushed it off on Pontius Pilate to kill Jesus. They're trying to do the same thing with Paul. Because they don't have the legal ability to do it. Where we live, it's not very likely that any of us will ever be charged in a civil court regarding our religious practices. Things are changing, there's no doubt about it. But I don't think we're quite to that point yet. There is a growing percentage of people in this nation who would love to do, to, to shut you and I up completely. You need to understand that. There's an anti-religious movement, anti-Christianity movement going on today like we've never seen in this land. But even with that said, we probably will never find ourselves in circumstances anything like the Apostle Paul is in at this point. that we may not be able to make the same statement in regard to our children and or our grandchildren. You and I have experienced freedom of religion our whole lifetime, but we understand that there is a growing segment of our culture that would love to take away our freedom to practice our faith. Where we live today doesn't look a whole lot like where Paul was. But with every day that's passing, it looks more like it. church is responsible for dealing with sin the Bible teaches church discipline Matthew chapter 12 more than anywhere else in other words what do we find in Matthew 12 oh it's actually the words of Jesus himself I am happy that we are a church that takes church discipline seriously. We've expressed it at times here. Most of the legal cases I've been involved in have taken place at the level of presbytery, very often in regard to teaching elders like me who have fallen into gross sin 
more often than not, it's adultery. It's been 29 years now. I can't tell you how many cases I've sat in in regard to this. And sometimes, let me tell you, they were people that were very dear to me. Two of them were seminary professors of mine. One of them was one that I got particularly more close to than I did my other instructors. I was floored. I was flabbergasted. If you would have asked me if, 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 if this man would ever do what wound up being done, I would, have, I would have staked my life on the fact it would never, ever happen. But it's taught me a lot of things, and one of those is this is we're all sinners, every one of us. There may be people around us who look like they're more strong in their faith. But let me tell you, every one of us is so far from being close to perfect that perfection is not something that we're much of a is much of our picture. Just let me give you a taste of it. Like I said, most of the, the, the cases I've had any part in de dealing with had, had to do with adultery. One of the most touching things I've ever seen in my whole lifetime, I still cry about it every time I think about it. Char charges were brought of sexual immorality against one of the pastors of one of the churches in Ocala years and years ago. Most of you probably wouldn't even remember this. And so an investigation was done by a presbytery. It was found out to be true. So charges were brought. And this pastor stood before presbytery and confessed his sin with his wife standing beside him, holding his hand. The most touching thing I have ever seen in my whole lifetime. Because he drug her through the mud. But she loved her Lord Jesus and she loved her husband enough to stand there by him and for him and perhaps the most difficult thing he ever did in his whole lifetime. Just remember the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two with you. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. We are a denomination that is faithful in doing that. Never with glee, never with joy, never with delight, 
never with a mental attitude, look what you did, I would never do something like that. If you think that about yourself, let me tell you, you just don't really know yourself. You would do anything if God let loose of the reins. And so would I. What makes us different is one thing, and that is God has laid a hold of us, and he has claimed us to be his. And he's covered all of our sins, past, present, and future, with the blood of his very son. All because he's a God of love, and he has chosen to love us for who knows what reasons. Other than we bear his image. How well do we reflect that very same character? If people were describing you, if you ask someone, what am I really like? Tell me, maybe we should do that on occasion. <laughs> I think we don't do it because we're afraid of what they're going to say. <laughs> I can tell you right now that other people look upon you very differently than you look upon yourself. I look upon myself very differently than I know other people look upon me. They see things that I don't. At the same time, I know things that they don't. What set Paul apart? What sets you and I apart is our relationship with the God who created us through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You and I have experienced the deepest form of love that's conceivable. A God who loves us so much, he has withheld nothing. Salvation is a free gift to us, but it costs the Lord God a bunch to save us. We are many things as Christians, but one of those is this, and I think this is one of the most important ones, and that is this, is we are the reflection of love into an unloving world. This world is hard, this world is harsh, this world is difficult. We have what it needs the love of God.